Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Why, hello, and welcome to episode 236 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the fourth episode of May 2018. That's right, four episodes. We have essentially done a weekly show this month, which is ridiculous. This episode is specifically our Godzilla vs. Hedra Daikaiju rediscussion, in which several of my co-hosts come over and we re-watch a movie that we have already tackled here on the Daikaiju discussions. We're sort of doing this as a way for newer listeners to be able to submit their homework for some of the films we covered way, way long ago. Now, please do stick around after the Daikaiju discussion because we are going to cover some really cool news and a couple of catastrophic events as well. There's also some housekeeping news, which, you know, I'll just save in case you didn't hear it in the last episode. Please do stick around. Now, I wanted to play a little bit of a goofy song because we're going to be watching this goofy movie. This is by Kazumi Kiriyama. It's actually a song called Defeat Hedra, and I grabbed it off of, I think, the 50th anniversary Godzilla soundtrack perfect collection. So enjoy this gem and we'll be right back for the discussion. ドロノナカカラ生まれたヘドラトンボも鳥もみんなごろしそらもの腹も全滅だ全滅だ空飛ぶ円盤怪獣ヘドラ流産ミストが雨あられ光るヘドラの熱戦中 中から生まれたヘドラクジラもサメもみんなごろし海も魚も全滅だ全滅だオータマジャクシの海中ヘドラ単価バッサリ真っ二つ光るヘドラの熱戦中 走るゴジラの放射能頑張れ頑張れ僕らのゴジラ頑張れ頑張れ 
ヘドラヘドラヘドロの中から生まれたヘドラ獣も人も皆殺しビルもタワーも全滅だ全滅だ四つ足カエルの怪獣ヘドラヘドロの弾丸猛毒だ光るヘドラの熱戦銃走るゴジラの放射能頑張れ頑張れ僕らのゴジラ頑張れ頑張れ僕らのゴジラヘドラをヘドラをやっつけろヘドラをヘドラをやっつけろやっつけろ And once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju Cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. For 2018, we are looking back on some of the films that our newer listeners have requested we revisit in this year before the 10th anniversary of the Kaiju Cast. This month, we are looking at Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, or more accurately, we are looking at Godzilla vs. Hedra because we are going to be watching the Blu ray released by Kraken and Section 23. But what can be said on the Kaiju Cast that has not already been said about Godzilla vs. Hedra? If you are not aware, we originally covered this episode in April 2010, so the second year of the podcast, episode 16. Over 200 episodes ago, you guys. And back then, we had a pretty good crew for this movie. We had Cindy, Martin, Jeff, and Sane all here talking about Godzilla vs. Hedera. And just like one of our other rediscussion movies, Godzilla vs. Gigan, we have also done a commentary for this film. And while I thought that Godzilla vs. Gigan was probably like the epitome of the best commentary we've done, The Godzilla vs. Hedra one is pretty damn awesome as well. So make sure you check that out if you have not checked it out so far. You can actually watch the movie along with the Hedra commentary, and a lot of that stuff does line up pretty well. So give it a listen. Another funny thing about the last time we covered this as a Daikaiju discussion back in April of 2010, that was actually before we started giving the Daikaiju discussions their own episodes. So it's piggybacking on an August Ragoni episode. In fact, the very first episode he was ever on when I really wanted to tell people what Ultra Q was all about. So another bonus for you. You can go listen to that episode, learn all about Ultra Q, and then learn all about our 2010 watching of Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. Out of the polluted waters it came, growing ever more deadly on smog. Only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil Godzilla. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Can Godzilla conquer this man killer? Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Rated G. Godzilla versus Hedra was originally released in Japan on July 24th, 1971. It was brought to the United States by American International Pictures, who released the film in 1972. This is one of those movies that a lot of people, for some reason, have really, really 
clung on to as like one of their sort of like nostalgic childhood memories. But for me, it's not part of my nostalgia. In fact, this, along with many of the 1970s films, sits sort of towards the bottom of my Godzilla list. And while I have grown to really appreciate a lot more about this film, especially after doing the first discussion and then the commentary, I still have to say, Hedera is such a weird mixed bag of a movie that I just can't bring myself to really, really love it. I don't know exactly what it is about this movie. Maybe it's the animated vignettes, even though I really do think those are awesome. Maybe it's the tone of the film. Maybe it's the music. And actually, you know what? Speaking of music, let's listen to a track from Richiro Manabe. This is his very first Godzilla score, Godzilla vs. Hedera. So let's hear some of that weirdness that we will be talking about later in the discussion. Joining me here in the studio to talk about Godzilla versus Hedra, we have Rachel Cook. Hi, hi. And Gretchen Brooks. Hi. Now, neither of you guys were newbies to this film. You'd seen it. Is this a movie that you've seen a bunch of times? Oh, or is yeah. it something you just barely visit every once in a while? It's something that we like to throw on in the background a lot okay. in our house. And so for us, it's really... It's something that I've seen pieces of often. Gotcha. But I, gotcha. Actually, sit down and watch, like start to finish, maybe, you know, I'd say a handful of times. Okay. Okay. And Gretchen? Yeah. Oh, more like 20 or 30 okay. times. So I would say you should probably rank this, not not specifically, but like where would this be, generally speaking, in your top Godzilla films? Like two. Yeah. Gretchen loves Hedra. I do. 
Now, I you do. specifically, do you like the chibi version of Hedra better than the regular version? Well, or are they, the, are they one I, and the same? They're all the same. I love them all, my sparkling boy. <laughs> <laughs> the many forms of Hedra love. <laughs> I mean, I have it tattooed on my arm. Uh, true, you know. true, true. Yeah. I think that like legit calls for some <laughs> that's some serious love. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, if you listen to the Daikaiju discussion episode that came out a million years ago, uh, you'll hear us talk quite a bit about the movie. And if you want to learn a ton about the actual production, I was actually very happy when I re-listened to our commentary as to how informative it actually was. But it was fun watching the movie with you two here because you weren't part of either one of those experiments last time. (laughs) And I was able to really (laughs) nerd out and tell you guys a whole bunch of stuff that was happening during the film about the film. And I mean, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but I hope you learned something cool (laughs) like while we were watching it. Yeah, Yeah. I thought that was cool. I always love that when um, I know I get that a lot from Brian um, when we watch movies together at home that he will, you know, stop the film or or if it's something that there's not a lot going on in the movie, you know, talk over it um, about different pieces that he knows about the making of mm-hmm. or yeah. just things that happened before or after that are really interesting that just kind of adds to the experience. So overall, where do you guys, well, uh, well, I guess we know where this movie sits with Gretchen's number two. What about you, Rachel? Where do you lump it in your Godzilla love? I was just trying to think kind of how I would rank some Godzilla movies. I'd probably go top five. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really do enjoy the film a lot. I, I know that I used to be a little bit more harsh on the seventies kind of stuff. Um, it seemed a little bit more, I don't know, the cheese factor was there and I didn't love it for what it was as much when I first got into kaiju movies, but at, this point, I'd say I really get a kick out of that, and I love that element of it of the really seventies. Like the we talked a lot about the soundtrack, mm-hmm. we and did. we True. were talking about that. You know, it's while it's pretty hokey, and it really adds a lot of levity to the film, um, and doesn't make it seem as serious with the way they did the kind of surfer kind of music and a lot of it. I still enjoyed it because it it was that era of films. I felt like a lot of the movies had that kind of music and it I think it really worked and it it made it a more fun film. But that being said, I think that it could also be a really completely different tone of movie if you made it really dark and you made it more of a if a Kube kind of score. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that would add to it as well. That would be a really neat way to see the film. Yeah, I've seen Hedra, uh, you know, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, Godzilla versus Hedra. Uh, I've seen it a million times. Obviously, not literally a million times, but I've seen it so many times. And it's kind of like what you're saying, where I kind of can put it on in the background and still enjoy it as it's playing mm-hmm. without having to say, today I'm going to sit down and watch the adventures of. Little Ken John, as he (laughs) helps his father solve the riddle of what Hedra is. But I think I also have come to appreciate this movie a little bit more, although I wouldn't let it crack my top five. Why do you guys got to come to it? It's amazing. It's a great... (laughs) It's it's beautiful. It sparkles. (laughs) (laughs) There are things that are beautiful about this film, and it exists in its own. uh, You know, this is what I was saying when we were watching it. Sometimes these movies come out 
And while I don't appreciate the filmmaking and the storytelling that's happening in it as much as some of the other movies, this is a movie where I find some of the backstory fascinating, uh, like, you know, having to do with how smoggy it actually was in Japan and the environmental mm. crisis that they were having at that time. And I really like that uh, this is where Godzilla really becomes the superhero. You know, this is the direct sequel, in a sense, to... Um, in a sense, it's a direct sequel to All Monsters Attack, right? So mm. because this, this was the next movie, even though we're not talking about continuity, Godzilla has... In 1968, for Destroy All Monsters, he has become a hero of planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And then in 1969, he's obviously the hero of this child that's dreaming of him. And now in 1971, there's still a child who's dreaming about Godzilla being a hero. And Godzilla is hero in real movie life. Mm -hmm. It's a weird it's the fourth wall. progression. The fourth wall. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys take note of when Godzilla breaks the fourth wall? No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. All that body language. He could be breaking the fourth wall all the time. We just don't know. Because we don't understand their... <laughs> <laughs> That's from Geigen, though. True. <laughs> Thank goodness we don't have the uh, scritchy, scratchy Godzilla voices in this film. Uh, so let's talk about, a little bit about what you guys liked and didn't like. What worked for you, Gretchen, in this film? Everything. Everything. No. <laughs> no. Um, honestly, I there's so many things I love about this film and that worked for me. Like I love the costumes for the fish people, mm -hmm. the, oh, yeah. the uh, hallucination that he has in the club. Uh <laughs> which really was kind of left fieldy as far as story is concerned. Sure, sure. I mean I'm would <laughs> I would definitely say that that movie is addressing some kind of drug issue? Sure, but it was a kids' that. film, so but there the was no time, drugs involved. Yeah, at the same time, you don't actually see any actual message <laughs> being uh, sent out into the airwaves. I, I, I really, I, yeah, I love the visuals of this movie. Let's not yeah, get, go wrong there. I mean, what, uh, what you were saying about the soundtrack, Rachel. Mm -hmm. I did want to play off a little bit because if I had the free time and the elements available to me, I think it would be kind of fun to cut together some scenes from Godzilla versus Hedorah mm. and make them more like a classic Ifukube Ishiro Honda style movie with, yeah. you know. Oh, that'd be cool. It just, just in, not the entire thing. I'm not crazy, but. Right. You know. that, no, that's but a they, lot of work. People do that on YouTube all the time, right? Yeah. Like they sure. make those little like sure, dark, yeah. darker trailers. If they, if you had changed the music of them, exactly. it changes the tonal. Exactly. I, I totally get that. So I'd like to see what this movie could look like as a, as a serious kaiju movie. I say it, I say that because I do actually kind of make the distinction between the stuff that happened in 1954 and 1965 and then what happened after that with the mm -hmm. Island series and now we're into the 70s, right? So this progression of Godzilla getting sillier, I want to wind it back to when he wasn't as silly and hear it and see it like that in a sense. Yeah. It'd be difficult to do with some of the stuff with like the voices and all that, but honestly, it's, it's a fun movie and it's got some really great special effects in it. But oh, man. for me... The, the goofiness of it throws it off and throws that message off. Sure. I mean, it does make light of those kinds of things like 
where, for instance, when the sludge is like killing people and destroying things, it it gets really lightened by the music. Yes. Dun, mm-hmm. dun, dun, but dun, as far as things dun. about loving that, like I love the kitty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> that kitty. <laughs> I love that poor cat. I hope that cat actually did all right afterwards. They asked yeah, me, so "How did the cat? Did the cat live?" And I just don't have the story about the cat. I'm. I'm. That's our fingers are crossed. I really. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool as hell if I like was able to find that information before yeah. I put this episode out and I come in and edit it in. <laughs> so this is where I do that if I'm going to do it. Okay, but <laughs> <laughs> also things that this costuming the Hedora's like suit is spectacular. Mm. I oh, mean, yeah. I get like that that time period was not like a really good financially as for Godzilla's franchise. A- apparently very bad time for, yeah. for not just but Godzilla's franchise, but great. the entire Japanese movie industry. He looked so good. He looked so good. Mm-hmm. And the transformations of the different styles of the suits totally. was so cool. That's something I really love. Is just the different variety you get of, you know, a particular kaiju. Flying I mean, form. although I got to admit his baby form, the little <laughs> the tadpole. tadpole. <laughs> the first tadpole that you see l- with the eyes. You know, little to be desired. Uh, or you mean the actual tadpole? The, I mean, the actual, like I mean, yeah, just like the, you know, no features <laughs> to him. Tadpole. Doo-doo version. Yeah. It's just... Thanks for keeping it clean, Gretchen. Doesn't really uh, do it for me, we'll say. Okay, all right, all right. But, but, you know, but I I do love love the different, you know, flying version and things of him as he evolves is is really fun. Now, is this the first kaiju that really starts to transform? I want to say that has, you know, like different stages. Oh, I think it might be. He's Shin's older brother. <laughs> That's actually one of the comparisons that I heard really? to Shin Godzilla. Oh, because he has that kind of flat, like um, Kamada-kun. Is... Just the fact that he goes through stages oh, okay. and the fact that, like Shin Godzilla, Godzilla versus Hedra stands on its own, you know? Right? You could you can connect it to the other films, but it is a standalone movie in more ways than one. The design, the style, the editing... The entire production is like its own beast, kind of mm-hmm. like Shin Godzilla. So they didn't use footage from other Godzilla films to cut in for like military or anything like that? This movie, I don't think, has a lot of stock footage from the other Godzilla films. I wonder how hmm. it was able to stand on its own then. Anyway, so Rachel, what about you? What did you like best about this film? Um, well, in addition, in addition to the transformation of the suits, I... I'd say I I don't know I really liked the kind of like the effects of the way they would do um I don't know I was thinking of like the club scene like we talked about with the fish people and the masks and all the kind of you know LSD trip or whatever he went on um hallucinogenic stuff but um but like the the way the opening of the film is and then they come back to it a few times with the singing and stuff of like the bright colors on the screen that mm-hmm feels very you know 70s i know they did that in a lot of like bond kind of movies have kind of that vibe yeah Um, that whole intro to the movie has a very very bond like oh totally yeah i love that yeah Yeah, it's and the silhouetted singer you know at times yeah Yeah, very very that that i think is very cool i think um and i don't know I, i guess for me it is just the overall kind of funky vibe of the film i I really get a kick out of that so that that'd be a big big 
plus for me. Right on. I mean, for me, I got to say that in general, just the hetero design as a kaiju is yeah. a very cool, like conceptually and physically and in execution. I know that the suit was ridiculously heavy and that this was Ken Pachiro Satsuma's first appearance in a kaiju film oh. as Hedra. And of course, he wow. goes on later on to play Godzilla from 1984 to 1995 and is a total card. If you haven't listened to his two episodes on the kaiju cast, I was able to interview him twice, which was awesome. He's like totally one of my favorites. Yes, yeah, so uh, this definitely hands down my favorite aspect of this movie is the Hedra costume. Actually, costumes. I'll say that in total. I really like his stages, like you guys said. Uh, but that final version of him, mm. when he's super cute, just like it's you like. So right? <laughs> he's so sparkly. Well, and then sparkly. we watched the Blu-ray, so the, that was just spectacular. Yes, you the could see the Blu-ray top of his head, very good. like the red, like glowing aspects. All that stuff was. So so sharp and so beautiful. Nice. The, yeah. yeah, the effects were really cool too. Yeah. Just you know the, the his bolts. like red squiggly lightning bolts and stuff, and then <laughs> the you know the effects of the kind of electricity that they're using. Yeah, to all those optical effects. Right. They, everything really looks good. really good in this Blu-ray. If you yeah. haven't picked up, if seriously, if you're a kaiju fan who has Blu-ray equipment and you haven't picked up the Kraken, uh, I think there's Section 23 is the other name. The releases they did. Godzilla versus uh, Hedra, Godzilla versus Gigan, Godzilla versus Ebira, um, and the rest of the <laughs> that movie's title. Uh, I think they did. Oh, and they get did the Return of Godzilla, the 1984 film. Hmm. Uh, so totally worth picking up and very affordable and very very crisp. Okay, so let's talk about what didn't work for us in this movie. I think I've pretty much already said the soundtrack is one of the big things that for me is the big detractor from this film. I know it was made for kids. I know that when this movie came out, either Toho was on its way to, or they were putting films in their little the summer break, winter break film festivals that were happening, the, the champion Matsuri's. But if this movie wasn't specifically made for that, I would hope that they would have made it a little more serious. And so that's really the biggest knock I have against this film, at least now. What about you, Rachel? I can't really think of anything specific. I think that I I really like the way they put the film together. I think it has good pacing and it has, you know, good effects and stuff. So I can't really think of a specific negative thing. All right. So, yeah. Well, you guys really do hold this film very high. What about you? Well, I'm Gretchen. a jerk. You're I'm a jerk. jerk. I don't like that kid. I'm like, kid <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm not, this is a care as a thing. I mean, I get it. It's a kid film. I get it. But Ken Chen, bless his heart, should not have the like intellect and understanding on a science level unless he is already unless you put forward that he is a genius of science. I can see that. Then I was like, yeah. I was willing to accept that reality. Like they'd be like, uh, oh, Ken Chen here is a prodigy of science. Be like, absolutely, yeah. I buy it. But they didn't do that. So how the frack? <laughs> yeah, tough to suspend he's, the disbelief on that that kid. Okay, yeah, he's the son of a scientist, Doctor Yano. Okay, yeah, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of a do of a nurse. I get some things, but like they show the kid working with the doctor. I don't know. I I did not. It's like, Dad, let me get the samples for that. you. <laughs> Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. This is he he hedrum, or was it <laughs> hederium? <laughs> 
Wait, <laughs> did this did Ken correct his father? I I just I remember him say. saying just saying the word. Like, I, I don't yeah, know that yeah. he corrected him, I feel, but, I, but I, the thing for me is like I like how Ken and his father represent the scientist angle here. This is one of those sure. times where yeah. science wins against the monster in a sense instead of military power winning not punching him and pulling out his balls and well punching I'm, him on fire. I'm specifically talking about the human interaction right many of these films it's a military action that kills the monster or gets rid of the bad guy sure or but what i like best i swear 100 percent of the time i prefer science to be the reason i agree that we can dissuade the monsters or defeat the monsters whichever you decide but basically the fact that ken and his father represent the scientific angle here there's really no other scientists that pop their head in i think there's a guy on tv or something but that's it i mean it's not like you get a room full of scientists like you have Mm -hmm. in monster zero where a whole bunch of people are working to figure out one problem you got these two guys who come up with the solution and sure one of those might be a genius kid. So just put forth that information that I need to know ahead of time to suspend my disbelief, so to speak. Well, my other complaint, though, I think that the thing there, hang on a second, shut the eye. You have to understand that they're they are making this for kids. And so Ken is essentially every child. Every child needs to be able to see Ken in themselves so that they can. Be the hero that helps Godzilla save the Earth. <laughs> but they're all end of episode. Like, good night. <laughs> way dumber than that kid. How did he know all that? And right. it's just gonna cripple the level of confidence. I really think you guys are no. downplaying <laughs> how much work his father actually did. <laughs> my other, my other complaint is so silly, and it's just so Hedora's or Hedora's death scene. Mm-hmm. Multiple death seeds. <laughs> We've got a hetero sympathizer here, I if mean... not two, in the in the studio right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was it necessary to pull his balls out and catch him on fire, and then like stomp on him, and then like catch him on fire again, and then punch him until he pulls his guts out? Hedra is incompatible <laughs> with life on Earth. Sure. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> like <laughs> it was. A- it was rude. It was very if, strange. If you've seen like Gamera versus Legion and the military scientists report back and they say, there's no way that this creature can coexist with humanity. That's the same thing as Hedra. Hedra is going to do nothing but pollute the earth and make it worse and kill people. And Gretchen, I know you might be all for that, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's me but uh yeah Hedra's, killing the earth Hedra's let's be clear he's the bad guy in this movie I know <laughs> I know so yeah I think it's it actually so, is a, like, is a it attests to how difficult it was for Godzilla to beat Hedra okay in many of these films how about that right in many of these films Godzilla wins fairly easily true true like if you watch Godzilla versus Biollante which granted came out like Later. Many years later, like almost twenty years after this movie, <laughs> but Godzilla fights Biollante. Well, Biollante's a plant. Biollante burns to death because Godzilla's breath. <laughs> like <laughs> Godzilla could have finished that movie 
the first half of it if you really want. Oh, a really you know short what? movie. That reminds me that thinking of that. So if the Godzilla burns Biollante, that's just creating more carbon pollution. So right? he couldn't have burned him to really have an effective movie of Godzilla being the hero in such an environmentally friendly movie as Hedera that he, that's why he didn't just burn them all up because that would have created too much carbon pollution. I see, I see. I think it was an environmentally environmental decision for what they <laughs> it was did. Yeah. Reduction of carbon put footprints yeah. on a kaiju scale. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I think so. Carbon kaiju footprints. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Coin the term here. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark kaiju cast. <laughs> anyway. Uh, what else do you guys want to talk about? Anything you loved or didn't like or you want to praise about this film? I mean, I feel like we've talked a lot about how much we love this film. I think overall, it's pretty obvious that you guys really, really love this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love this film. Yeah. You know, yeah. final thoughts. Let's just do that. Gretchen, final thoughts. Would I recommend this to a kaiju newbie? Absolutely. <laughs> because one, it stands alone on its own. That was, that was my impression of you, by the way. It is. It does. That was good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I think it's a really fun one. I, I have trouble recommending kaiju films to a kaiju newbie in general, um, just because, I don't know, a lot of them, unless you really love monster movies, it's hard to convince someone to like monster movies. But I do think that this one has, because of the 70s kind of feel to it and really kind of wild uh, soundtrack and thematic way about filming it, um, I, I think that it... It is a fun, it would be a fun one to watch with somebody that's unfamiliar with the genre. And, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I think that it, it would be more palatable because it would be the kind of goofy factor, but that maybe they are expecting already. And, but it's done in a good way, I think. Overall, I actually don't think this is a good movie to show a kaiju newbie. And the reason that is, is because I feel like showing anybody anything from the 1970s, kaiju-wise, it needs to be prefaced with the sort of explanation that, look, this was not a positive time for giant monster movies. So I'm showing you something that was made on much less of a budget than most of these other films that I love way more that happened in the 60s, you know? That's and true. so for me, I if I'm going to introduce somebody to kaiju films, if I could get a whiff of, ooh, this is someone who I might be able to bring into the fold, I'm going to show them either a brand new movie, something mm. that's really well done, and probably not like Shin Godzilla, probably like Godzilla, like Mothra, King Ghidra, Giant Monsters, all that oh, yeah, attack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe Godzilla... X Mecha Godzilla, maybe Godzilla versus Biollante or Godzilla 1985, just because mm-hmm. it is its own standalone film. But those 60s movies, I feel, are just way more entertaining on a first impact kind of way sure. than the 1970s films. So for me, yeah. I'm sorry, it's a no for me. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, it's a it's a movie that I feel like once you get a little bit of an understanding as to what the Japanese movie industry was like in the 1970s um, and how that affected the development of this film, the production of this film, and to many extents, even the reception of this film, I can definitely appreciate it on, you know, a lot more levels. Sure. Now, having said that, let's hear what some of the listeners had to say about Godzilla vs. Hedra. 
Steven says that this particular entry of the Showa series has a special place in his heart as it was the first Godzilla film he saw on the big screen. It was on a double bill with Frogs, another ecology-minded cautionary tale. He admits that it was definitely a weird cinematic experience for an 11-year-old to process, but it tried so very hard to reflect the culture it was in and wasn't scared to experiment with the formula that preceded it. Still, the flying Godzilla scene is just plain wrong. Steven even knew that back then. Hedra, the smog monster in the American title, was a formidable enemy, and sometimes gruesomely so, and the Save the Earth song is forever imprinted on his mind and soul. That's not a complaint, though. To sum up, Steven has warm, nostalgic feelings for this movie, and rating it would be a disservice to the experience it provided all those years ago. Mike Keller says that for all intents and purposes, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster was the first Japanese monster movie that he ever saw, and the film that made him a Godzilla fan. For this viewing, he watched the subtitled version of Godzilla vs. Hedra. He still loves the movie, and if asked to rank every film in the franchise, would have to list it somewhere in his top 10 favorites. From a visual and aesthetic standpoint, Mike considers this one of the best entries. He loves how the 68 suit looks, the color composition, the design, and color palette. New director Yoshimitsu Bano channeled some of the stylings of Japanese New Wave directors such as Seijun Suzuki and Toshio Matsumoto into what is ostensibly a children's film. The movie is possibly the most striking and bizarre flick in the series, and in this way reminds Mike of Zatoichi in Desperation, made roughly around the same time. In fact, Mike would call out the infamous flying scene as the film's one major flaw, and something like that stands out as completely incongruous in tone and style from the rest of the movie. Actually, Mike has one other major beef with the film, cruelty to animals. Whether covering a cat in mud or harming a tank full of fish, this was obviously made way before agencies existed to supervise how non-humans were treated on set. Come to think of it, there's one shot of a crying baby half-submerged in sludge. What was up with that? Clearly, the Japanese Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Babies was not on set. Something Mike has to wonder about are the Godzilla toys that Ken plays with at the beginning. Why would there be toys of kaiju in a universe where these creatures, who routinely cause death and destruction, actually exist? It would be almost like making action figures of Hitler and Saddam Hussein. Pacific Rim and Ultraman did this as well, and Mike has to wonder at Ken's parents, who allow the kid to go to a mini Woodstock in the countryside with a bunch of hippies, while old dudes gaze at them creepily. And oh yeah, giant monsters are attacking the country. Seems safe to him. Some of the little things that Mike liked are the poster of Martin Luther King Jr. on the wall of the acid rock disco, the stylish animation sequences, the Ultraman pose that Godzilla strikes. Okay, that one was kind of silly. And the scene where Godzilla's hand is eaten to bone after plunging it into Hedra's body. It was years before the last one was even brought to Mike's attention, and it's easy to miss if you're not looking for it. One point that should be brought up is the scene where Godzilla pulls two white orbs from Hedera. Mike had always assumed that these are eggs, but both Kenpachiro Satsuma and Teriyushi Nakano have stated at convention appearances that these were meant to be Hedera's eyes. That doesn't make much sense as, one, what would be the point of pulling out Hedera's eyes, and two, we plainly see that Hedera still has its eyes after this scene. The more plausible explanation is that these are Hedrium organs, Hedra's nuclear fission power source, as described earlier in the film. Unfortunately, neither Bano nor the scriptwriter Takeshi Kimura are around anymore to comment on this. Finally, Mike thinks it's unfortunate that Bano's proposed sequel in Africa was never made. 
It leaves the final film's question of, and yet another one? To be answered with, not so much. Adam says that Godzilla vs. Hedera has its share of problems. It has a lopsided structure and instantly dated script. While ancillary characters like the two lead groovy teens are used up, then thrown away. Style-wise, it's one of the more striking-looking films in the series, with certain segments coming across like a trippy Electric Company episode. It makes Adam wonder what house auteur Nobuhiku Obayashi could have done with the series. Oh, I think that would be really weird, man. Uh, and he goes on to say, Despite the carnage wrought by Hedra, the frights are mild and silly enough for young viewers to enjoy. Michael notes that Godzilla vs. Hedra is the Godzilla franchise's equivalent to an Andy Warhol film or painting. Although it's strange beyond compare, it's not one of the absolute worst in the series. It marks the first time in the series since the original to make a strong statement about an issue facing humanity at the time, as well as having a large body count. However, the original did it better with slightly less violence in its monster kills, and the message has a somewhat positive resolution as it finds ways to get out of the situation of how to deal with nuclear radiation. Godzilla vs. Hedra, on the other hand, has a more negative aspect, as all its message says is that pollution is bad and keeps hitting the viewer over the head with that message. Another comparison that can be made to the original is that Ken's father was a scientist who was scarred by the pollutants that Hedera generated in the same way that Dr. Serizawa was scarred by war. Other than that, the human plot is fairly simple with random bits of animation, weird go-go dancing, and overall weird moments that clearly show this is a 70s movie. The monster fights are not much of a spectacle to behold, but the final battle at Mount Fuji has some good moments. From Godzilla mimicking Ultraman's specium ray to distracting Hedera with a rock in order to punch one of his eyes out. Of course, there is the elephant in the room regarding Godzilla using its atomic breath to fly, which is a black sheep moment, even compared to his dropkick against Megalon two years later. The ending bit of Godzilla glaring back at our characters also reminds humans of where he came from, as he is made from humanity's tampering with the natural world. And they're doing the same thing with Hedra nearly two decades later. The ending would have been a bit more somber, with Godzilla looking like a giant pile of garbage and shedding a tear, which is what the filmmakers were originally going for. Overall, Michael does not think that this movie ruined Godzilla, as Tanaka famously said to Bano when seeing the finished product. Like Batman, Godzilla can work with a variety of tones, and this film proves that point very nicely. It's far from being the best in the series, nor is it the worst, but it's definitely an odd but fascinating gem of a tokusatsu movie. 2.5 out of 5 stars. Joey writes in to say, Oh, Godzilla vs. the Smoggy Dookie. Okay, seriously, there are really only two things he hates about this film. The first one is the baby being smogged. Ugh, he hates that. And then there's the score. It's a mixed bag, really. Still, this is an important entry in the kaiju world, alongside of the original Godzilla, Gamera 3, and so forth. It's not in his top 10, but it's pretty close. All Eli has to say of this movie is, wow, what a trip. Godzilla vs. Hedra is one of the craziest and, dare say, one of the most ambitious Godzilla spectacles ever put to film. This film tries to harken back to the anti-nuclear themes of the 1954 original, but instead of radiation, it's pollution, which was a hot topic for Japan and the entire world in the 70s. Eli notes that this is one of the more popular Godzilla films here in the United States. It's better than the Godzilla anime film, but really, is that saying much? All in all, Godzilla vs. Hedra is a great kaiju romp and a fun movie altogether. Three blobbed-up kittens out of five. 
Adam asks us to imagine Godzilla versus Hedera presented in black and white with the action slowed to a crawl. Remove the ridiculous score and replace it with cacophonous industrial sounds. Now you have your answer to a question that you never thought you had to ask. What if David Lynch directed a Godzilla movie? Godzilla vs. Hedera is one of the most problematic of the Showa-era films, and because of that, it remains one of Adam's favorites. Let's start with the obvious, puzzling directorial choices. Why does Godzilla's entrance theme sound like he's being introduced under the big tent as a giant carnival clown? Why the cartoon segments? Forget the cat's survival. Why does Hedera's sludge instantly slay a room full of grown men, but only upsets an infant nearly submerged in the goo? Or, should Adam say, Does he even need to bring up Godzilla's newfound superpower of slowly flying backwards or his inexplicable appearance during the roller coaster ride? He could go on, but you've seen Godzilla vs. Hedra, so you've undoubtedly asked these questions. Poor editing and directing make for either a throwaway show of film or a surrealistic masterpiece. Adam chooses to believe the latter is the better interpretation. Speaking of surreal, how about the we're all gonna die party on Mount Fuji? the partiers dancing to what appears to be music in their heads? It sure actually wasn't what was playing. Combined with the musicians plucking along some imaginary soundtrack is something that truly sets this film apart from all of the other Showa-era entries. It's much more detached from reality than, say, Godzilla's Revenge, and Adam wouldn't want it any other way. Finally, while the constant environmentalist preaching is thrown at the viewer for most of the film, it peters out entirely by the end. Godzilla disembowels the antagonist and walks off into the sunset, ignoring the praise of the human characters. And that's pretty much it. No voiceover telling us our duty to save the Earth, just the end of the movie. Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster is one of Herman's holy trinity of his childhood Godzilla favorites that made him a lifelong fan. This movie, Godzilla's Revenge and Monster Zero, are Herman's earliest, happiest Godzilla memories. Being exposed to these films first is why Herman never had a problem accepting Godzilla as a hero, and why he actually hated Godzilla King of the Monsters when he was little. Herman knows all his fellow KaijuCast listeners will cover all the ground of this movie, so he'll leave that to them. He will just say that what makes this movie superior to almost every other movie on Earth, two words, Godzilla flying. How much more bitching can you get? Connor says Godzilla vs. Hedra slash Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster is one of the most unique entries in the Godzilla universe, featuring perhaps the most environmentally charged entry since the original series. And it does it well and better than some of the modern day movies. Featuring possibly one of the strangest and best foes in the Godzilla lore, Hedra is not only strong but a very original monster and powerful. But perhaps the strangest scene in the whole film is the flying Godzilla. Not only does this scene seem to capture the craziness of the original Showa series, it's also just one of the many reasons to love the entire Godzilla franchise as a whole. And there you have it, our Daikaiju rediscussion for Godzilla vs. Hedra. Thank you guys for showing up and uh, helping me out. I'm really surprised we didn't get some of our other co-hosts here for Godzilla vs. Hedra. What I know. a classic. And what the uh, heck? dudes, we're disappointed in you. Yep. <laughs> now, if you guys are interested in finding out what next month's movie is, we are going to be watching Wrath of Daimajin. Yes. Okay. I need to be very, very clear about this. Listeners, if you are listening to this, what we are doing for Wrath of Daimajin is the third and final film in the trilogy, and that is the one with the kids. Okay? The kids that cross Mijin's mountain. 
It's not the one in the lake. It's the mountain. It's the one with the snow. The reason I say this is because when these movies were released by ADV Films, they screwed up and renamed the other two films. (laughs) So there has been this constant struggle ever since that happened to correctly identify these movies. And so that's why I'm telling you guys right now, we're talking about the one where the kids cross the mountain to save the villagers. It's a really great movie. And I really think it's like, with the exception of like one or two of the kids, some of the best kid kaiju actors I've ever seen in the films. I'm willing to accept that for a try, right? Sure, sure. (laughs) Just give it a chance, Gretchen. Just give it a chance. If you want to have your homework turned in and submitted for the Daikaiju Discussion episode, please send in your thoughts, questions, and reviews by June 25th to be included in our discussion. Now, we are going to go ahead and move along to some very, very important kaiju news. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So let's go ahead and start things off on this side of the Pacific. We're going to be talking about the legendary MonsterVerse films that will be coming out in 2019 and 2020. Last time, Gretchen and I talked about news. We didn't really have any news about that stuff. These are very small bits of information, but, you know, they're important all the same. Godzilla 2 is now officially, as in really confirmed, confirmed last week, called Godzilla King of the Monsters. This is a title that we already kind of knew, but it was a weird thing where they accidentally left out the word the, so we thought it might have been King of Monsters, which is, you know, totally acceptable in some circles. Sure. Overall, I think it's kind of dumb that they're using a name that already exists. Yeah. I'm sure they're, they think it's clever and a way to hit on some sort of nostalgia, but I wish they would actually give it a better title than just going back and using something that already happened in 1956. There's so many movies that I have to, when I'm searching online, I have to know what year it came out Mm -hmm. or say, you know, the first one or whatever that like, it just, it happens so many times when titles are reused that I just wish they would use a little bit of creativity. There ought to be a lot. Come up with something. (laughs) Yeah. But that's okay. That's not what they're going to do. So (laughs) we'll just see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I mean, basically we don't have too much more information about this legendary stuff. The other thing that came out is that the movie has now been pushed back from, I believe, March of 2019 to May of 2019. I'll have a link in the show notes that shows both of these changes and updates to the second Godzilla movie in the legendary MonsterVerse. Moving along to the other side of the Pacific, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle was released on May 18th, 2018. I've heard reports of it not doing too well in the box office, but I'm still waiting on the actual data to come in from like box office mojo which is basically what i use to judge that stuff and then i will judge it very hard based (laughs) off of its box office results i think it didn't do well i'm the kind of guy who wants to know when i'm going to be able to see this movie you know as we've said many many times they don't need to advertise this movie to me or any godzilla movie to me aside from just letting me know that it's happening because i'm a guaranteed seat i'm a guaranteed view Sure. For watching these movies. Mm-hmm. So I want to know when this is coming out on Netflix. Netflix, when are we getting this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll make my own judgment of whether or not I like the movie, but I need to be able to see it first. Uh, in addition to this movie, 
We have a brand new film for November 2018 in the anime series. Of course, it's a trilogy, as we've mentioned before. This looks to be called, this third film, Godzilla, Planet Eater, also known as Godzilla, Eater of Stars. And I I believe we're going to be seeing King Ghidra in the movie. (gasps) He has been teased, so we'll see how that goes. I don't know how King Ghidra has evolved over 10,000 years. Let's go move along to talk about Godzilla's plans in Japan. So right now we know that we have to have three movies from this anime series playing out through 2020. And the reason we know that is because Shin Godzilla came out and then apparently Toho wasn't supposed to make a live action Godzilla movie because of the license with Legendary. So now they've agreed we're not going to make any movies until 2020 is over and the Legendary license has ended. And then they do have plans to make other movies. Recently, the chief Godzilla officer, Keiji Ota, was um, interviewed for a couple of different magazines, and he has laid out some pretty interesting ideas for the future of Godzilla. Earlier this week, I actually went to Las Vegas to a licensing expo where I got to actually introduce myself and meet, very briefly, with a couple of people from Toho and Tsuburaya, uh, separately, of course, at their own booths. But I was able to talk with one of the members of the Toho staff at this licensing expo, and ask a couple questions about what we are expecting to see from Japan in regards to Godzilla merchandise and media in the future. He said, basically, that Toho is already in the planning stages, so that as soon as that legendary license expires, they're going to jump on making new stuff. Hopefully they're already making stuff. Well, I mean, they're doing pre-production, right? They can't make anything. The things they're making right now are the animated films. Yeah. But I mean, basically, when that license expires and they can announce that they have a new movie, they're going to try and keep that fire hot. Good. Because right now the Godzilla fire is kind of hot, which is why Toho was at the actual licensing expo. Mm-hmm. So going down to this show, I had actually hoped to set up some interviews that could be used on the podcast. But unfortunately, that did not happen. I don't have any audio that I can use for this particular episode. But I am hoping that the connection that I made is going to be enough so that later on when I go back to Japan, I can sit down and chat with these people and get a little bit more info, get a little bit more about the plan in the future for Godzilla. What I can say right now is that they're very excited for what's going to be happening with Legendary. They're very excited to get the license to make live action films back into their own hands. They've talked about a shared cinematic universe, which a lot of people are sort of freaking out about like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? And I think it's a buzzword. I don't think it really means anything. I think they're only looking at the words that are being used for the Marvel films or the words that are being used for the DC films. And they're saying, we should do that too. The same way that Disney has said, we're going to release a Star Wars movie every year. Toho is saying, we're going to release a Godzilla movie every two years. So they're really just following suit with what is happening in America. Mm-hmm. It's In my what's opinion. popular right now. Yeah. We talked about the, the licensing expo, and I read these guys, this article that I'll link to. But basically, this guy that is the chief Godzilla officer, he's very good at creating buzzwordy promotional speak for mm-hmm. Godzilla and the Godzilla license. And that's what they need to do to make that money, so I'm happy for them. But, you know, I just hope that they don't 
do something stupid like try and make a Godzilla movie every year. Because mm. clearly, while you can make it happen, it's not the best decision. Yeah, I don't think you get the best quality stuff when you do that. So the one thing that I think is sort of a like a scoop, I guess I'd say, that you know I haven't seen anybody else talk about, is that the guy I talked to at the licensing expo actually said that they are planning on introducing Godzilla to television in Japan somehow. And I don't know how they're going to do it, but that's pretty big news. Yeah, and that's interesting. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be, like, if it'll mean they do it like Ultraman, where you have a bunch of episodic TV kind of stuff. That's right. what I was yeah. saying yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's going to be, you know... Um, because with TV, you can do a lot of a lot of shows are standalone episodes. If you look at something like Black Mirror or Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. you know you've got all the standalone stories. But then, um, but then if you look at something or like like X Files has a lot of standalone episodes, but there's always um, a can um, some sort of continuity between throughput, it. Yeah, right? yeah exactly, totally. and a some like background story. stories and plot. Yeah. Yeah, um, so that who they could knows? Do. So who knows? I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can go about it, but I think it's exciting. It'd be interesting if they like canonized, like did some canonization, like in these stories. Like if they created this is going to be canon. This character came from here. This character came from here, and it's canon. Like the mm, inner, yeah, it's that a little too be, messy right now. I think it's yeah, yeah. the story like because like a lot of Godzilla versus films are able to kind of stand on their own. Mm-hmm. It would be really cool to have more story inner story continuity big meta plot so to speak it'd be interesting yeah i'd be i'm i mean i'm with you i'm i would like to see in like kind of like ultra q um stuff i like the whole that godzilla may not be in every episode but there's going to be some kind of thing dealing with it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that'd be interesting i don't know No, I mean, that, as far as like bringing it to television, that's like what I can only imagine of how that would look. And that's kind of popular right now, that kind of anthologized like. Sure. And also, I would also uh, point to America again, you know, Toho like trying to do what America's doing. Black Mirror. TV. Yes. TV all across the world has just been elevated. You remember back mm-hmm. in the day, it was like. People would be like, "Ugh, I'm not going to do TV. I'm a movie star. Now yeah. you've got the opposite happening. Totally. In a sense. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I want to see what happens with the Godzilla TV show, but I can honestly say that I I am only taking what this guy says with a grain of salt. Totally. He's a PR guy. Giving him an inch, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to, I don't buy it hook, line, and sinker. I'm not going to be sitting here going like, yes, yes, Godzilla TV show. For the next five years, yeah, waiting for something. He is, you, know? you guys. He's so he <laughs> I keep it internal. I keep it internal. Uh, one of the other things about being at this expo was really cool. Uh, was seeing Toho having a booth. You know, an actual yeah. booth that I could mm-hmm. walk around. They had a Godzilla suit on display. Apparently, the day before I got there, they actually had a guy walking around in the Mire, uh, the Kiryu Goji suit. What? Yes. The, the promotional suit. Anyway, wow. I missed that, but that's okay. Uh, I did walk around and talk to a bunch of different booths. I should show you the map because I actually circled all the people that I thought would be interesting. I gave some cards to some people. Ah, Viz cool. Media. Good job. Uh, Toei Animation. Nice. Oh. So I'm really, really trying to put some feelers out there. Uh, in addition to talking to somebody from Toho, Subaraya was there. 
And both of these companies, Subaraya and Toho, I was dying to get like a standard hour-long interview with them. But they were so busy, which is great. That's great news for anybody who's looking for any kind of market penetration of Godzilla or Ultraman in the United States. They did not have time to actually grant me like an hour long interview. So I had to deal with just being able to talk to somebody for a few minutes mm-hmm. at the Subaraya booth. I actually got to meet someone who was involved in the court case. He was one of the witnesses in mm. the court case of Subaraya versus Chayo. Wow. And here in the United States on April 24th, Subaraya won their court case in America, which If you've ever wondered how this feels, I could see it in their eyes. Like, Mm. I could see how happy they were that this nightmare was finally over for them. Yeah, I bet. And that that makes sound, it might sound like I'm building that up. Sorry, what'd you say? I was going to say something awful. Like, everybody, hold on to your Hanuman versus Ultra 7 DVDs because they about to get. Price for a jump. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was just really kind of touching to see when I said congratulations, the response that I got back to thank you was like so heartfelt. I was like, wow, these guys really have had to deal with some terrible stuff just dealing with the whole Chayo aspect of things. So so I'm just very excited for them in the future. And they're very excited, too. The guy said, we're very excited to see where this goes. We really want to introduce Ultraman to America, but we have to be very cautious about what our next moves are. They're already working with a team of people who do licensing here in the States. So they have somebody that can sort of introduce them, I'm hoping, a little bit better than they would if they just kind of came over on their own. So I have an actual link to the Subaraya Productions website where they have the notice of them winning. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that so you can check it all out. If you have any sort of inkling into legalese, enjoy. I'd read it. (laughs) You should read it. I'm a paralegal. So the deal is I want to actually have an interview with them talking about this whole thing. Also, speaking of Subaraya... The brand new Redman comic will be available June 2018. Oh, man. Oh, boy. So uh, we talked to Matt Frank a little while ago about him working with Redman, which is a character created by Subaraya for two-minute episode shows where basically this guy just kills kaiju. He's a mean person. (laughs) He is mean. He's very mean. But he's got a lot of special moves, I guess. Red Fang or something. That's my favorite band. (laughs) There's a a favorite Portland band. There's a episode. We watched two episodes. We watched like episode two (laughs) or three and then episode 85. Yeah. And they're Mm -hmm. just. Uh, they're insane. Two minutes of just nothing but it, there's mon- no plot. hero on monster violence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's literally just and is a it two hero on monster violence? Is it or it, villain on monster violence? Yeah, yeah. this poor monster is just rolling around. Nothing happened. Well, if you're just curious as to what we are talking about and why we're talking about it, <laughs> why you should be interested in the adventures of Redman and his quest to rid the world of any and all kaiju. You should check out the Redman Kaiju Hunter Volume 1 <laughs> graphic novel. 128 pages in full color. This is not the hero you'll be expecting, 
but he is the hero you'll want. Can you read it in two minute increments? Uh. <laughs> you probably just Does have to feel set, the same? set your red man timer. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a red fang. Yeah. <laughs> Instead or of it saying, it's like dum 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 dum. Well, he does that whole move where he's got, he takes that sword and jams it in the kaiju's it mouth. It kind of looks like a machete uh, almost rude? even. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hey, I'm not saying I approve of his so uh, actions. So he's called the kaiju hunter his in the comic? Weapons. Well, that's what it says. But he's man, a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a bad guy. Yeah, he looks a little a little dorky, I gotta say. I, yeah, I, I like, like the look. Of, I think look. he's cool. Okay. Um, but he's got kind of a dorky little flippy nose. I think it looks like one of those like Venetian masks, like but like almost like a tricorner oh, yeah. version See, of it. I thought it kind of had a bit of a Robin of it? Yes. Yes. Okay. I thought it had kind of a bit of a Robin Hood vibe on the top of it a little bit. It's a unique look. True that. Uh, I bet it would be fun to see Matt Frank's artwork on that. I've seen some of his artwork for it already. Like I've seen a mm-hmm. couple of little images he's posted online. It actually looks really great. You know, the I guy so. Matt Frank is at least doing it justice. I will say. Nice. nice. All right, moving along. Were you guys excited that this last week we uh, went through the 20th anniversary of the 1998? TriStar Godzilla. Did you Man, celebrate? It went yeah. right past me. Can you believe that? <laughs> me too. Can you believe? Actually, I did see it on Facebook. I kept scrolling, didn't share. <laughs> you didn't you share. Know, <laughs> I know. It's tempting. I, I shared it on the KaijuCast page because yeah. like I said at the beginning of the year, <laughs> I'm trying to, to heal the wounds mm. this year. Yeah. I mean. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's, just, my, it's time for me to let go of the hate. I, I was surprised that it had been 20 years. I think the I only surprised. thing I remember really vividly about like things that were kind of spectacular about that film were the Taco Bell commercials. I was just going to say that. Right? Yo yes. quiero Taco Bell. Ear lizard, 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 lizard. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Man, I love guess, that little because chihuahua. Because that little chihuahua is adorable. He is. That's okay. the only like great. <laughs> that was, you know, it put Taco Bell in a special place in my head. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and right. that bank. That bank that... Well, yeah, yeah, the bank that... The sound. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Which I still have to great. send to the winner. I'm looking for something else to put in that box so it's not just a box of disappointment. Uh, <laughs> that's so nice. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. sure. Anyway, uh, the next thing we got to talk about here is a Kickstarter campaign that did not reach its funding, uh. but it was for a movie called Daibutsu Kaikoku, which is sort of like the legend of the great Buddha. Now, I don't have any real information about this movie yet because it's definitely still in the process of pre-production but the concept to resurrect this movie because it is actually a lost film from back in the day if you aren't aware oh, what? during world war ii many many films were destroyed in oh, japan yeah. one of the films that is lost to the ages is the legend of the great buddha or i don't know okay. what the actual original title of it is but there is an there's like a couple of old photos. Who destroyed the films in <laughs> Oh, the United States? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Firebombing. Firebombing oh, Tokyo. I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of destroyed yeah. more than the films, but yeah. Well, yes, true. Yes, we destroyed a lot more than films yeah. in in uh, World War Two. But the deal is that this movie is being resurrected by these filmmakers in Japan, and there's going to be a big announcement later this week. Uh, what I do know is that they were lining people up to be involved in the picture. One of them was Akira Takarada. 
Shelly Sweeney, who was in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 in 1993, and I guess she was also in Godzilla vs. Destroya and Godzilla 2000 and Godzilla Final Wars. Wow. Wow. I think she only had small roles in those last three, but in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, she was part of G-Force. Okay. Anyway, so she's going to be in the film. Uh, Like I said, Takarada is going to be in the film. And they're basically, they're bringing on more and more people to be involved in this Legend of the Great Buddha movie. So hopefully we'll have some cool information on that in the near future. And I'll have a link in the show notes to the actual website of the Legend of the Great Buddha. She like the walk on Caucasian? Is that what's like? I don't know. I mean, as far as like her role in the Godzilla stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty Caucasian lady background. Kind of. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. uh, Moving along. From July 12th through July 15th in Chicago, Illinois, actually Rosemont, Illinois, G-Fest 25 is happening, bringing Akira Takarada, Megumi Odaka, cool. and Keizo Murase to the uh, big convention in awesome. Chicago. I'm Sadly, we won't be there. No, not, <laughs> so sad. not the ladies. Not these gals, but I'll be no. there. I get yeah. to interview Megumi Odaka, which is awesome. pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I got to really study her very brief filmography, actually. But I'm uh, looking forward to it. I've never had the chance to interview her. And I think we are going to have a fantastic conversation about her time working with Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Also, the exact same weekend, Florida Supercon is happening in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And they are going to be bringing Bin Furuya and Tsukomo Kitagawa. So cute. So nice. Kitagawa-san, who is the Millennium Suit actor for Godzilla, and Bin Furuya played the original Ultraman in 1966. They'll be on hand. Make sure you follow the link in the show notes to both of those festivals so you can see what's going on. If you're in Japan, I have an event for you, an annual event. Ultra Festival starts July 20th. There's a link in the show notes to Sci-Fi Japan showcasing what you should be able to see at Ultra Festival 2018. Look at all that good stuff. Concept art. Oh, man, I want to go to this. I know. (laughs) You know, uh, this is like the worst excuse ever, but the reason I don't ever want to go to this is because it's held in July and August. Mm. Which is really hot in Japan. Maybe those little fans with like misters you can hang around your neck. It's a, like I said, it's a terrible problems. excuse. I just pervasive. Very, very horrible aversion to hot, muggy weather. Just put those. Anyway, that starts July 20th. That goes through August. So check out the link in the show notes to that. There's a crazy Taipei event coming. I just learned about this this week. June 30th through September 16th in Taipei, which is in Taiwan. The translation that I have of this page says that there's going to be an event called Lord of the Monster Godzilla. And uh, wow. Yeah, they have some really cool concept art on here showcasing Godzilla's evolution, showcasing movie production studio props and artwork and like a studio tour of it's really crazy. Just follow the link in the show notes. Obviously, I will say if you aren't going to Taipei or you have no plans to go to Taipei, don't fall in love with what you're about to see. Because it looks like it's going to be a really crazy event. I mean, look at this. Yeah, it looks Meet Godzilla. Insane. Godzilla encounter. Wow. Godzilla versus Taipei Are diorama. Are touching Shin Godzilla right there? I don't know wow. what they're doing. You guys need to see these photos. Be, I don't know what they're doing. It looks cool. But uh, it goes on from the... I actually know somebody that lives in Taiwan. Really? I think I should go see her. Yeah, or (laughs) tell her to go see this for you and film the whole thing. I should. There's a ton of information on the website that we'll link to in the show notes for this. 
That sums up our catastrophic events. We have one final housekeeping item to talk about. The enamel pin run is on. So uh, I did an enamel pin. I've been planning one for a really long time, and I sort of went back and forth on a bunch of different ideas. I've actually been planning several pins, but this was the first one that I just decided to pull the trigger, make it happen, and the pre-order is open right now. The first 30 orders also get a free window sticker. It's a one-inch kaiju footprint soft enamel pin with black and nickel. Pretty cool. How would I say this? It's a really nostalgic footprint for anybody who's known what Toho's press materials look like in the past. Get to see his beans. His beans, yes. I'm really excited Mm -hmm. to get these because uh, the quote from the people was really reasonable. They came back very quickly and they should be arriving like the first week of June. Awesome. How much are you charging for them? They are $8 for the pin and wow. $3 for shipping. That's and great. if I totally you are out, <laughs> I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Actually, several people from Portland pre-ordered them, so they're going to get shipped. They're going to get shipped. I'm actually going to ship them. Anyway, uh, that's happening right now. It's a limited run of 100. So I will say, if you have not ordered one yet, please make sure you do. This is the first time we've actually done a pin run. It's the first time we've done a merch run in a few years. And essentially, I'm only making 100 of these. They're not going to be any more. And then if I'm going to do another pin after that, it's going to be something totally different. Limited edition pig people. Pig month, pig month, pig Anyway, that is going to do it That'd for this so particular cool. episode. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, please point your web browser to KaijuCast.com where you can see everything that we are about. Don't forget to submit your thoughts, questions, and reviews for our next Daikaiju rediscussion, which will be for Wrath of Daimajin. It also doesn't help that all three of those movies came out in 1966. Right. <laughs> so it's pretty wild. Anyway, thanks, Gretchen. Thanks, hey. Rachel, for coming over and watching Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster with me. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next month. Jamata. Ja,